Yes. You ever been in a position, a situation that you didn't even know you could take your next breath? And somehow you do. God is the very air that I breathe. Ruth and I will be going on vacation for the next two weeks. So if various things or situations or emergencies come up, um, we have very capable hands to fill that. Bruce, Daryl, Ed, Michael, Teresa, and Anita still as the secretaries. So feel free to call and uh, they will take care and rise to the occasion, whatever might come your way in the next couple of weeks. This morning's message comes from probably one of the strangest avenues that I've ever received something from the Lord. It's kind of unusual, and hopefully I will remember to bring them out. We'll pray here in a minute, and you'll be able to sit down in a second. But one of the avenues would have been, would be um, baseball. The other avenue, as strange as it might sound, is Hollywood. The other avenue was the automobile industry. And the other one is Charisma Magazine. Okay, now, 35 years I've been saved, and me and Charisma Magazine's never really gotten along. It just um, were, to me, in a different vein than I was. But I'm not sure if he's the editor of the entire magazine. I think his last name is Getty. But something has happened to that guy. Something has happened. And so part of his article is in my message, which is called Normal Christianity. Normal Christianity, which I don't know if a lot of us, without any age on us, might not have known or experienced normal Christianity. So that's where all this stuff is going to come from in here, in the Word of God. And we're going to see how we have moved from it and must get back to it. Absolutely must. Essential. Okay, opening text, we're going to look at Jeremiah. For years from behind this pulpit, I was always telling you, look, you can't go contrary to the Word of God and get away from it or get away with it. You can't go contrary to the Word of God, whether corporately as a church here, all of a sudden we start doing things contrary to the Word, or you as an individual, as a person just trying to serve God yourself, all of a sudden you decide to go contrary to the Word and the church in a whole all through our land. You cannot get away. Now, it says, Jeremiah 6.16, God says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand you in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not. Okay, so here's a group of people rejecting the Word of God. Right off the bat, God is saying, All right, I'm going to tell you. And so He goes, Thus saith the Lord, not Bruce, not John, not Joe, the Lord. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk in these old paths. Seek them out. And you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, "Um, I don't think so. And so because of that, God goes on and says, Also, I will set watchmen over you, saying, 
hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. So you can obviously see them rejecting the word of God. And then verse 18 comes. He says, therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold. This is what he says to us. I will bring evil upon this people. What people? The people who have decided not to walk according to the word of God. Not according to God's plans. They've decided to walk to their own way. Their own drummer. So God says, listen now, you've got to see this. Because it's amazing. Because he even tells us, hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people. And here's the part that screamed at me. Even the fruit of their thoughts. Saying, if you go contrary to the Word of God, if you go contrary to what God shows you and tells you in the Word, God said, even your thoughts will be messed up. You will not even be able to think right. You cannot make right decisions. Whether it's your children, your own life, what you should do, where you should live, who you should marry, what church you should do, how you look at the Word of God. Because if you don't obey God, God says, your thoughts are messed up. Even your thoughts. And God said, by the way, I did that. Do you see? It's up there. Look how big. Nice and big. I will bring evil upon this people. Remember, those who said, no, we're not going to walk that way, God. Even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. You cannot reject God's word and get away with it. You cannot. You can feel like you are. You can think you are. You can even think, well, my thoughts are all right. But let's just look at our nation. Is it suffering from the church making bad plans and bad decisions, having bad thoughts? Is our nation suffering? Is the people and the morality sky high or is it plummeting? It's because of us. It's the church. We are to represent what is right. There's nobody representing what is right and true to our nation. The church is running around wanting to do their own thing. So therefore, God says, even your thoughts are messed up. And my gosh, this is where we're at. And so thoughts means fruits of their plans, their ideas. Hey, we'll do this. We'll do this. Even if they're saying we'll do it for God, but they're not lining up their life according to the word of God. God says it's going to come to naught. It's going to come to absolutely nothing. So when we reject God's word, we can't even think right or make proper plans, decisions, whether they're retirement decisions, whether they're college decisions. You can't do it without God. Proverbs 1.30 says this, they would none of my counsel. In other words, they they don't want any of my counsel. And so he goes, they despise all my reproof. Therefore, remember, there is always a therefore. He says, shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. This is where we are in the United States of America. It is our own way. We do what we want to do in our sight, even serving God how we want to. This is the truth. That's why Tim Taylor can come and talk about India and all the absolute wonderful things that are going on in India and how they're having thousands get saved every week in China because they have smuggled the Word of God in. They are excited and in love with the Word of God. They are devouring it and obeying it. And God is blessing them. And our plans 
and are constantly messed up. Just constantly, it seems like. So I believe that this is what's happening. Now, because we tell God personal life, even right here in New Hope, or the big uh, picture of the church in America, because we say, God, eh, I think I'll go my way, then this is what takes place. Now, I'm getting to the point where I got all these cars and Hollywood and baseball and all that, eventually. Ezekiel 1.1 tells this, tells us this. Now, it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives of the river of Chabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Okay? Ezekiel's letting you know what happened on this day, that day, the exact month. This is what God showed me. So now we're going to go down to verse 28. This is what he saw. Now, 1 one to all the way to 28, you can read that if you want. He just expounds on this unusual vision he has. But 28 wraps it up with what he says. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so is the appearance of brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice, one that spake. So from 27 all the way up to verse 1, you go into this unusual vision that Ezekiel got. And then he comes down to verse 28. And he says, man, I was absolutely overwhelmed. And by the way, what I was overwhelmed with was the appearance like the glory and the majesty and the splendor of God. That's what God showed him in Ezekiel 1. So we got that now. Now, we're going to move to Ezekiel 10.3. He goes this. As he's... I'm cutting all the corners so that for the sake of time. But he sees the same vision now. And now he's in chapter 10. And he goes, Now the cherubim stood on the side, on the right side of the house, when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Okay? This is a type of the glory and the presence of God. The cloud of God filled the inner court. He saw the presence of God, and if you look at it, he talks about this beast, wheel within the wheel, and eyes within the eyes, and face here to face, face. And it was like, that's the appearance of the brightness and the glory and the majesty of God. So now he goes to verse 10, and he talks about the cherubims again. They stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Now as we go down to uh, verse 4, we're going to see that the glory of God started to move. Okay, you've got to remember this. You understand God is real. Now, there are some things that we should be having in our services. We should be seeing the presence of God as far as manifested in the lives of people's lives. We should see various chains of bondages being broken. The miraculous happened. The wonderful marriages being put back together. We should be able to come to the house of God and receive hope and faith and peace and strength to go out of the next day for the battle that's before us. God is real. This is just not some uh, mental exercise we're going through here. What a waste of time that would be. Some mental, silly exercise. So now the presence of God has been explained. We see it in the house of God, but now it's moving. Verse 4 says, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim, stood over threshold, over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's gate. So here's the house of God, and it said at first it was here on the right side, which vice versa for you, and then it moves to the doorway, or back there where Ed greets you. 
There's where the presence of God was. Here, and now it's back to the doorway of the temple. And so we see the presence of God moving. Ezekiel 10, 3 and 4, New Living Testament, to maybe make it a little simpler. The cherubim was standing on the south end of the temple, the house of God. When the men went in, and the cloud of God filled the inner courtyard, then the glory of the Lord rose up from above the cherubim, went over to the door of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud of glory and the temple courtyard. I think the rest of I, I might have wrote in New Living Translation. I can't remember. If Josh didn't, that's all right. Maybe I didn't. Verse 18 says, Then the glory of the Lord moved from the door of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. This cherubim was a type of the presence of God. So it was here, then it went to there, and now they're saying, okay, it's moving again. Ezekiel says, and as I watched, the cherubim flew with, the, with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of God of Israel hovered over them. The presence of God was here, then the presence of God was at the doorway, and then the presence of God now is at the gate. And for us, that would be our little chains, gates, where we let you in, let you out. Okay, to keep the big truckers from pulling in and ripping up. So now the presence of God is moved out there, according to this vision that Ezekiel has seen. Ezekiel eleven twenty two, and it says, Then the cherubim lifted up their wings again and rose into the air with their wheels beside them, and the glory of God of Israel hovered above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the city, stopped above the mountain to the east. Afterward, the Spirit of God carried me back to Babylon to the uh, Judeans in exile there, and so ended the vision, my visit in Jerusalem. So the presence of God was in the temple, went to the door of the temple, went to the gate, and then left the property and went to that big mountain in the east. Ezekiel, and then the vision ended. He saw the glory of God leaving the house of God. That's what he saw. Okay? It's not a stretch. It's right there. Now, as I was watching a documentary on the golden age of baseball, um, I, I, I grew up playing baseball all my life. And as I was looking at this, and as they were talking, mean, old heroes, Duke Snyder. Who remembers Duke Snyder and Harmon Killebrew and these guys that are forgotten, Kurt Flood and all... People even older than that are, that are still alive. Uh, L.K. Line from the Detroit Tigers that said, Man, we played baseball because we loved it. He said, Every summer we had to go get a job. Every summer they worked. L.K. Line played 22 years for the Detroit Tigers. And every summer he had to go get a job. So he can sustain his life. And baseball, they call that the, the golden era. The golden age of baseball was awesome. Ernie Banks, all these unbelievable ball players that I watched. And so they're talking about how the golden era and the golden age of baseball is now destroyed. It's ruined. Because you could, he, LK line 22 years with the Detroit Tigers. Now they last 22 months. And if they don't like them, they move on. And money has just ruined it. And they just play for money. It's business, you know. But in the golden age, they played baseball. Not because of money. 
because they loved it. And you would hear them. They would talk. And I said, I couldn't believe they wanted to pay me $6,000 to play baseball. And they, you know, these guys grew up when I was growing up. It's not all that, you know, we're not talking about when back when way days when they didn't have shoes. We're talking about when I grew up. So money's ruined. Ruined. Baseball is ruined. America's favorite pastime is ruined. There's no going back. It's impossible. You can say, okay, who all the famous ball players now who are getting six million a year for ten years, we're going to pay you six thousand dollars a year now. It's ruined. There's no way they can go back. It's impossible. And then they moved on to the golden age or the golden era of Hollywood. And, of course, the 40th anniversary of the moon thing. So there was every moon movie, every space movie for a while on all the 50, Channel 55, which is the old station. You remember? And that's what I have. And the video, sorry, Larry, video was so old. It's like this paper fake rocket ship with this phony red paper flying behind it. Showing it's a blasting off to the moon. That's how bad their high tech was. Just horrible. You look at it now, you <laughs> Okay, that's how silly it was. But now they're into this moon situation. And something happened. Somebody was missing. They couldn't find them. And the air was disappearing. Oh, I forget what the scene was. And the one guy looked to the other serious convening. He says, man, all we can do is pray. And the guy looked back at him and said, it's all I've been doing. And I'm going, that's a golden age we'll never go back to. It is gone. It's history. You'll never see it again. And then they went to the golden age of automobiles. Man, automobiles were awesome. How many of you remember going up to a fender of an automobile and going like this? Man, that thing is solid. I mean, you could... Now, you can lean on them, and you got to call Tim. <laughs> How many of you leaned on them, and they went, <clears throat> oh, no, you got to. Isn't it true? I mean, that's when cars had style and muscle and design. They were awesome, awesome. And you'll never go back to that now. You'll never can. They're tinny and plastic and flimsy, and, and they got all kind of high tech. They do. I remember when my dad... Bought a 1959 Cadillac, and I've shared that with you. It didn't even have air condition, and it had wind-up windows. But it was an awesome car. A Cadillac. How can you, do you see somebody in a Cadillac going this? Do you guys still remember how to do that? Huh? <laughs> Try that. You remember doing that, Terry? <laughs> now, we'll never, ever, Right? GM's all messed up. You think they're going to say, let's go back to that where you go like this. <laughs> and no air condition. Absolutely nothing at all. And so this is what brought this out. I get an email <clears throat> from Charisma Magazine now. I will not even look at it before. It was into, to me, it was into nonsense, silly stuff. Dumb stuff. If you've liked it for years, that's up to you. That's fine. I know we're all different veins. I like spaghetti. Don't cut it. Don't put sugar in it. 
You can like spaghetti, right? Different. So I get this, and I have been reading this guy now for probably four or five months, thinking, man, what has happened to him? So when I get it now, right after all this stuff, I pay attention. It was, it was I think the title was Getting Back to the Classics. After I just went through the documentary of the baseball, I mean, I was into baseball into baseball. I had the opportunity to be with Clemente. Who remembers Clemente? I had the opportunity to be in Willie Stargell's house. I was in this baseball. All of them collected every card. It's, we're never going back to that. Never. Same with cars. Never going back to the way it was in Hollywood. Forget it. So this guy goes, getting back to the classics. I'm like, ooh. This is unbelievable. I just was watching. And here I'm going to read some of his stuff because it's better than I can preach. But if you want real Christianity, if you want what Christianity is supposed to be, then listen. And then after you listen, you've got to do some things. And we'll, we'll just talk. Here's what he said. We need voices from the past. <clears throat> like Andrew Murray, Corey Ten Boone, Charles Spurgeon. To, fi- to help us find our way to the future. You understand, we have wavered so far from the doctrine of the apostles and the gospel that we need to look and read because these guys' lives are documented and they serve God just like that says. So we have to throw this thing in reverse and find out. And this is what he's saying. So he's saying, this is what you need to do. Their, their names are probably somewhat familiar to you, he says. Jonathan Edwards, John, John Wesley, Charles Finney, Catherine Booth, Andrew Murray, Evan Roberts, Charles Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby. Who knows who Fanny Crosby is? Unbelievable hymn writer. Unbelievable hymns. Like, actually, what Mike was starting with, I'm like, this is cool. Because I'm even talking. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, E.M. Bounds, Watchman Nee, A.W. Tozer, William Seymour, A.B. Simpson, Corey Ten Boone, and Leonard Ravenhill. Voices of the past. And so I'm engrossed in this after watching the golden era, the golden age of baseball and car and Hollywood. And then this is, find this on my computer. It says, this is what these guys did. All challenged the Christians of their generation to embrace repentance. Not just sorry, repentance. Humility. They understood a realm of spiritual maturity in the depth of the character that few of us today even aspire to obtain. There's some sustenance. Man of God told me a long time ago, God wants to put iron in your soul. And that's missing in Christianity. It's absolutely missing. Then he goes on and writes, I realize now, this is his words, I realize now that I must dig for this buried treasure. We will never effectively reach our generation if we don't reclaim the humility and brokenness and consecration and the travail that our spiritual forefathers considered, listen, normal Christianity. That's how far we are away. It's normal. It's not like, oh my God, this guy's on fire. No, he's normal. Normal Christianity. So he writes, what was the secret 
of these great Christians who left their legacies buried in their books because they wrote books. They considered humility, selflessness, sacrifice, the crowning virtues of the Christian journey. They called the church to die to selfishness, greed, and ambition. Now, one of the verses in that old song, I can't even remember it. It's been so long, I haven't even... I don't need a great audience. What did that one say? That one verse, the second verse of that old song. I don't need men's applause. I mean, this was normal. And so he's going, they called the church to selfishness, to die to selfishness, greed, and ambition. They knew what it meant to carry a burden for lost souls. Tim Taylor comes from India to tell us witness. Where's the burden? Well, you know, it's so hard to wind those windows up. Where's the burden? Now we sit here and go... Where's the burden? For the souls. They saw... The glories of the kingdom and demanded total surrender. Ike's been singing that song for a couple months now. He loves that song. Total surrender. It's not a song. It's a life. They challenged God's people to pursue obedience. Listen, even if obedience hurts. Hurts. You know how it hurts? Being obedient. And you tell the truth to your harm. Did you have a seatbelt on? You laugh. Uh, No. $150. Even if it hurts, you're obedient. Hebrews 5.8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he what? What? Not acclaimed, suffered the Son of God, the Son of God. So what we've done, or what we can't do, we can't take Christ's gospel and change it. We can't. And build on it and think it's going to fly. Whether you do it personally, corporately, or nationwide. That's like taking a valuable Rembrandt. You know, they sell them for millions. Okay? So you got this valuable Rembrandt autographed by him. Adam comes up, grabs it, scratches over spray or whatever on Rembrandt's name and writes his name to take the credit. As soon as he's done that, what did he do? He ruined it. He ruined it. Then God has given us a Rembrandt. And we're putting our name and our flavor to it. And we're ruining it. It's ruined. But the cool thing is, you can't go back to the golden age of baseball. They'll never do it. Nor Hollywood. They're crazy. Okay? What was the other thing? Cars. Forget it. They're bankrupt. They don't have a clue. Been making tinny plastic junk. Forget it. They're not going back. But you and I can say, hold it. I want to go back. 
to this. I can go back. You can go back to this. You really can. As soon as Adam would put his name on it, it's worth nothing. Millions of dollars. Art collectors all over. Bidding from across the world on this. As soon as he takes it and puts his name on it, it's valueless. He ruined it. Ephesians 2 tells us this, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom we also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Jesus was the cornerstone. Then the apostles and the foundation laid it. And all these unbelievable men of God who preached brokenness and sacrifice and death to self built upon that. And then there was that other layer that decided to scratch off and do it their way. And somewhere on the way, you and I got right with God, and we built on their foundation. Here he goes. He writes again. Even their hymns reflected a level of consecration that is foreign in worship today. It is. They sang often of the cross and its wonder. Their worship focused on the blood and its power. They sang words of heart-piercing conviction. This was one of the most, to me, loose, liberal magazines ever in Christianity. Listen to this guy's writing. What's happened to him? He wrote some words from hymns. My richest gain I count but lost, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death, save in the death of Christ, my God. Hymns. These are hymns words. In the books, he goes on and writes, in the books Christians buy today, you will find little mention of brokenness. You won't find it. We wavered, John. We wavered. We have wavered. Unintentionally, those that went before us told us this is, we have wavered. Psalms 34:18 says this. Remember, he just said, this guy, this big magazine said, you will find hardly any books on brokenness. Look at that scripture. We're not teaching our people about brokenness. It's the very thing that God draws nigh to. It's the very thing that's going to make the presence of God come off the mountain to the gate, to the door. Into the house of God. Brokenness. Not pride. Moaning. Complaining. Anger. Bitterness. Loose living. Silly thinking. God simply tells us, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save as such as a contrite or bruised, crushed spirit. Even no strength to go on. A while back, the Bible to me was like this. You ever have days, months, weeks? This is scary when it's like this. Okay? Especially when you're up here. 
It's very scary. But I'm telling God all the time, God, I, I just don't have any spit. To me, that's strength, mm, charge. I just don't have it. Okay? And one day, those of you that have iPhones, you know that the phone beeps when you get an email. It just makes some kind of noise. Now, you'll, you'll probably think this is crazy, but that's all right. Because you aren't where I was and didn't walk where I've been. Haven't felt like I've felt. So, you know how God speaks to you in different times. So, I believe I got an email from God. It wasn't from you. I'm not saying God's up there going, what's his email address? Now, he could have. But I hear it go, bing. And I flipped open my computer, went to the email page. And it was... Uh, scripture of the day. I've never had that sent to me. I've never seen it before. I know Kabillion Ministries do that. I'm not saying this split the Red Sea, but it split mine. Okay, I'm not saying. So it said such and such a verse. And I went. Mm. I wasn't diving into the word. Like I said, didn't have any spit. I was just wondering. Why. And so, with all the strength in the world, I went like this with my mouth. Clicked it. And it, it brings up this page with real small print, which used to not be bad. Okay, really. Real small print and not um, dark colored print. And it, and it came up, and I looked at it, and, I, and it was a long chapter, and this is what I did. God, I'm not reading that. I lie not to. It starts to move. It scrolls up, and it's scrolling up, and all of a sudden it comes to this certain verse that is magnified in yellow, and it nailed me. It was perfect for what I need. I didn't even have strength to go to the Word of God, cry out to God, move the cursor. Make go like this. I, you just got to go like this, and it moves in your iPod. Nothing, and it moved. Now, you're not going, wow, what a miracle. No, that's the way the people made this thing. But I've never seen it, and it went right to what I needed to see. Now, wait. That's normal Christianity. God speaks. It's normal for God to speak to us. That's not like, what? Wow, wish I was you. No, you don't. It was just normal. Just normal. We got to get back to what's normal. Not, you know what? Once that happened to me, I'm no longer wondering. I'm not in a fog. I'm not in a daze. I went, wow, really? God, this is unbelievable. Came up. This long, I thought, I'm not reading it, God. I'm I just not. I ain't said God. And it starts to move itself. And it's five times bigger and in yellow. And I went, you got to be kidding me. This is the God that we serve. Do you understand? God will speak to us through songs. Um, but I'm not talking. 
our minds, we can't even think right when we're contrary to the word of God. If you leave here today and say, cool for you, but I'm not doing it. I'm not getting into brokenness and I'm not telling God, I'm afraid to pray that. Heard that nonsense. I'm not sacrificing for nobody. Then I'm telling you, even the way you're thinking is wrong. I read that to you in the beginning. So he goes on and reads. We are not interested in a life that might require suffering, patience, purging, or the discipline of the Lord. We don't want that anymore. I'm being real honest with you. We want our blessing. We want them now. So we look for the Christian brand of spiritualized self-help that is quick and painless. We're running on empty. We think we are sophisticated. But like the Laodiceans, we are actually poor, blind, and naked. And naked. We need to return to our first love, but we don't know where to begin the journey. That's this guy writing now. I'm not writing. I'm not saying this. These voices from the past will help point the way. I found myself drawn to reading books by Ravenhill, Tim Boone, Murray, Spurgeon in recent days. I even pulled out an old hymnal and rediscovered the riches of the songs that I have thrown out years ago because I thought anything old couldn't possibly maintain a fresh anointing and people think this is old and they're always looking for the new thing and God says go to the old paths this is normal Christianity you're eating abnormal stuff now here's the clincher you can't they're not going to come back and make a 57 Chevy with a hard Fenders. In fact, if you watch them auction that stuff off, it's unbelievable. The prices are through the roof. Hollywood's not all of a sudden going to say, man, we're bad. We need to go back to good morals. They're not going to do that. And certainly baseball is ruined. But we can go back. We can. You can today. Malachi says this. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Most of us, because we haven't been taught them or learned them. He says, return unto me. Listen, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? Or how shall we return? I've just told you. I've just showed you. My shelves in my office are full of those books. Full of them. Full of them. But if you go to a bookstore now, you can hardly find books by these unbelievable men of God who served, listen, who served God right. If you're interested in really how to do this, and God, I just need some guidance. These books, they're awesome. They're out there for you. But what I'm trying to tell you tonight, or this morning, is that it's not normal. It's not normal what's going on. The scariest thing is, when I saw that, God gave me Jeremiah 6.16 back when I lived on Brighton Boulevard, which is when I first moved here. 
And I've been here since 84. And that's when I started seeking out these old, rich men of God that have unbelievable things for God. Old paths. Way back then. And so, as we, Michael or Tim, okay, as he comes, you have to decide in yourself where you're at with God. If you're pleased with it and happy with it, then okay, I guess. Okay. But God wants to stretch you. Now listen, I'm going to tell you like it is. God wants to sift you. You know what that is? Remember the old sifting? Throw a clump of this in and you... And God wants to sift your life so that you come out refined even better for Him. But most people even here aren't going to permit God to do that. You're not going to permit Him to do it. But I'm telling you, this is normal Christianity. Selflessness. No ambition. No greed. Dying to self. That's normal Christianity, which is not seen probably on your TV channels and radio stations much. Maybe some. I'm not saying only here. Oh, no, no, no. God's got his pockets of people. But the great media, you're not, you're not going to find it. You're not. So let's stand. This is what God's telling you. Look here. You're to live this way. Right here. This is the way you're to live. And if you tell God, no, sorry. Or you tell God, okay, yeah, I will. But you're going to decide how to live it yourself. I want to just read that scripture to you because even as you're thinking right now, God says, even the fruit of your thoughts will not be fruitful. They're not going to work. You're thinking. So number one, I've always asked God, God, please, you've got to help me to think right. You've got to drop your thoughts into my heart. You've got to line up with the Word of God. And your thoughts will be established, the Bible says. And He'll start dropping the desires of His desire for you into your heart. And a lot of times you won't catch it. You'll just think, you're thinking. It's just you thinking, but it's not. It's God putting His thoughts, His wisdom, His direction for your life in you. In you. Your first step is to surrender to God. I don't know if you ever have. Some different faces here this morning. You need to surrender your life to God. If you've come with a friend, they know what you need to do. They're the ones probably been praying for you like crazy so that you would come. That you would be here. Experience the house of God. So if you want to continue on with God, talk to that friend that brought you. They'll walk down here with you. And pray with you. The rest, especially our children, 
We have endeavored to try to give you the true Word of God, but we know we're just a little tiny voice among billions that are screaming. Different thoughts, different ideas, and different ways. We're telling you here that this is it. This will bring you blessing. This will bring you safety. This will bring you satisfaction in life. You will become what God has desired for you to be. So the only reason why you're here is because God has given you life and breath to be here, to accomplish His goal, His desire. But it's in here. It's all in here. Normal Christianity. You can get back to it. So as Tim leads us in a song, if you desire that, if you want to taste truly God, just come down. Come down and just talk to Him.